Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson, the talk show that makes the connections between research, policies, and practitioners that are too often missing from the American education system. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Good day, listeners. Welcome to Educate with Dr. Jefferson. I am your host, Jonathan Jefferson. You can learn more about me at my show page on TalkZone.com. Today, we are going to review what we have learned during the first 38 episodes of Educate. Now, I have learned a lot about broadcasting over the past 14 months or so. I appreciate the patience and guidance offered by experienced industry veterans at syndication networks, such as Gene Stern and Dave Olson. Uh, Gene's advice was instrumental in my appearances as a guest on syndicated programs nationwide. Today, I will review what we have discussed with guests over the past 38 episodes. I can't believe it's that many already on Educate. I'm going to start with the first quarter of the show, which is from January 8th, 2014 through April 9th, 2014. During that time span, we discussed 10 different topics. They included crisis in America's K-12 education system, mental health education, integrating education with technology, inclusive excellence, teaching math, college and career pathways, school health, preparing high school student athletes for collegiate athletics, creative writing, Education. Now, I cannot go into detail on all of these different topics, but I would like to highlight about four of the topics we covered during the first quarter or the first few months of the show. The the very first show, Crisis in America's K-12 Education System, included two guests. My first guest was Todney Harris, author of Battlegrounds. America's War in Education and Finance, A View from the Front Lines. We also spoke with Dr. Philip S. Cicero, who was author of The Seven Deadly Sins of the K-12 Education System, Costly and Ineffective Programs and Strategies. Let's focus on Dr. Cicero. Dr. Cicero is a retired uh, school district superintendent, and on the cover of his book, There's a picture of a chalkboard, and written on the chalkboard are what Dr. Cicero terms his seven deadly sins of the K-12 education system. Sin number one, class size reduction. He discussed the fact that there's a belief that if you reduce class sizes, you'll be able to spend more time per pupil, and therefore there would be greater academic success. And the research actually does not prove this out. So he puts this down as one of the seven deadly sins. The reality is you can have 300 students in a classroom and it's the instruction uh, that ultimately determines their academic success, not the class size. And number two is homework. Number three is seniority and advanced degrees. Reality is, it doesn't matter how long a teacher has been in the system. 
if they don't spend time improving their educational methods, improving their ability to reach students. So oftentimes you may, might have a young teacher right out of uh, college or right out of grad school who's more in touch with students and who has uh, better strategies and approaches to use with students. So I certainly concur with Dr. Cicero in that seniority and advanced degrees don't necessarily equate to a better teacher. Number four, technology. The reality is that oftentimes technology was placed into classrooms, but it really wasn't integrated into instruction. So, for example, a, uh, a computer turned into a, uh, a highly uh, technical word processor. It really wasn't used uh, effectively to improve instruction. That is, that's changing now, but I do understand this being one of his four deadly sins. That is, simply adding technology is not necessarily going to improve academic performance. Number five, remediation. Number six, grade retention. Now, I disagree in part with Dr. Cicero with regards to grade retention. Uh, the research I did for my book showed that grade retention can be effective and more often than not is effective at allowing children, students the opportunity to uh, catch up to their peers where they should be academically. And number seven is extended school time. Those are the seven uh, deadly sins that Dr. Cicero uh, highlight in his book as being uh, indi- indications of things that are not necessarily going to pr- improve instruction. Once again, it's class size reduction, homework, seniority and advanced degrees, technology, remediation, grade retention, and extended school time. So that was our very first episode titled Crisis in America's K-12 Education System. And I wanted everyone to really take away um, those seven uh, areas of discussion from Dr. Cicero. I don't have to agree with them, but take a harder look at them with regards to uh, research and application. The very next episode on January 15, 2014, was on mental health education. Our guest included Hakeem Rahim, who is the founder of Live Breathe LLC. And we also had author Richard S. Strip Sr. on, who wrote the book, Mommy, I Wish I Could Tell You What We What They Did to Me in School, t- Everyday Atrocities Faced by Special Needs Children. This episode on mental health, what I want you to take away from this episode, or what we can all take away from this episode, is Hakeem Rahim's story, his experience. Hakeem Rahim was the first uh, African-American student to graduate as valedictorian of his school class. Uh, it's a, a good-sized high school in Long Island. And he was accepted to Harvard University. In his first semester at Harvard University, he had his first experience with uh, a mental health. What happened is he had a uh, bipolar breakdown. He didn't know at the time what it was. But he had a bipolar breakdown. His roommate contacted his parents and they came and they got him from uh, Harvard. But his parents didn't truly understand mental health. So he went he was dealing with not only bipolar issues, but depression. Uh, They sent him back to his his father's home country of of Grenada. uh, and, And even there, they couldn't understand why someone in the beautiful environment and climate of Grenada would be so depressed and only want to, you know, lie on the couch. But eventually he was given the um, hospitalization and professional 
uh, help he needed to address his mental health issues. And that's when he was diagnosed as bipolar. But his story is one that uh, we should focus on because of the fact that he went on to not only graduate from Harvard, but he went on to get two master's degrees from Columbia University. So this young man in his first year of college had his first experience or his first mental health break, and yet he was still able to go on and earn three Ivy League degrees and start a company, Live Breathe LLC, which is geared toward bringing awareness to mental health issues and making it okay and taking away the stigma of discussing uh, mental health issues because the majority of us in our lifetime at one point or another are going to deal with some aspect of mental health because that includes anxiety, it includes uh, depression, it includes depressive episodes. It, there are many different things uh, that touch on mental health and like I said, most of us will experience it in some form or another in our lifetimes and that's the level of awareness that Hakeem Rahim uh, is now working full time bringing, uh, to people's attention. And his story was a, is an excellent one. And in fact, if you go to, uh, that particular show and you click on that show, uh, there is a video, um, that's, that's a YouTube video of Hakeem Rahim, uh, that is definitely worth sharing and checking out. Now for the first quarter of the show, the next show that I want to highlight was teaching math. And we, we, we covered 10, different topics during that quarter, but only about four of them am I going to highlight. And this is the third of them, teaching math. In teaching math, we had the director of the National Math Foundation, Susie Kuntz, on the show. And she was also, she is also the founder of Math and Movement. And in addition, we had Mike Infantino on the show, who is president of the Educational Resource Company. And he discussed with us Singapore math. The reason these two topics are important is because, number one, Kuntz uses uh, research to prove that math is best acquired through movement. So as opposed to sitting in a chair and simply going over uh, equations or trying to break down formulas, students actually acquire uh, the knowledge of math and the ability to recall mathematical equations and solve math problems. They actually are better able to do that when they learn math through physical movement. So it's, it's just one of many examples, and I, I'll discuss a couple of more uh, in some later episodes. But it is uh, another excellent example of the reality of you can't take away the physical. And Susie has, does a great job with that in uh, math and movement. Uh, Mr. Infantino shared with us the fact that the new Common Core State Standards developed its standards based on its math standards based on Singapore math. What we mean by that in Singapore, uh, Singapore often leads the world in mathematical instruction, the success of their students in math. Uh, anytime there's an international study, they're right on the top. And in fact, the books that they use were American books, but they, they instructed differently. They instructed to true mastery to with serious depth. So with Singapore math, it's not the quantity of math you're learning, it's the depth of math, it's learning to true mastery. And when the Common Core State Standards were developed, which were developed to bring American students on par or on a competitive uh, level with the rest of the world, Singapore math was the model that was used. So in this particular episode, uh, Math and Movement, uh, excuse me, Teaching Math, Math and Movement by Susie Kuntz, 
and uh, Singapore math with Mike Infantino were very important topics that educators should uh, tap into. Uh, these are these are excellent professionals who who bring a lot of expertise to the table, and these are nationally renowned uh, programs and individuals. Uh, the last item in this particular quarter, uh, the last episode that I want to highlight is that of art and music. Uh, our guests were Kelvin Jenkins, who was the director of art and music for a school district in Long Island. And it was also poetry month at the time. This was April 9th, 2014 episode. And we had a gentleman on named Gregory Singer, who is the founder, author, and artistic director of Poetistry. And the, the that particular show was that my first guest, Kelvin Jenkins, actually had uh, an audio clip played, which he says is used as a motivator for a, a, a music lesson. Um, and it's called Hayden's Symphony Number no. 94, called The Surprise, a uh, second movement. And we actually played that symphony. And as we were listening uh, to that symphony, you, that symphony, you can hear the surprise that comes with the instrumental music. And that was used as a motivator for students. And his emphasis is in the fact that you can't separate art and music from the the from education that it's just far too important. And and uh, Mr. Singer, uh, we also shared clips of his poetry work, which is fantastic because it it melds poetry with music. And if you actually get his poetry book, it's also with art, with visual art. So you had the poetry, you have the music, you have the visual art. We played some clips of, from his poetry, which were fantastic because he has a very um, uh, excellent voice. He has a very uh, uh, who's the, he, there's a, there's a singer, Barry Manilow, not Barry Manilow, um, Barry White has a very deep, rich voice and, and Gregory Singer, also known as Rage Sinclair, has the same, uh, beautiful type of voice. So that was our first quarter, a very rich quarter, and I highlighted four of the topics covered in that quarter, during that quarter. But at this time, we're gonna take a short break. Stay tuned, we'll be back with more right after this. Welcome back to Educate on Talk Zone. Here's Dr. Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show as we discuss what we have learned in the first 38 episodes of Educate. The first quarter of the show, we discussed the first uh, three months of Educate and the 10 episodes that were the 10, the 10 topics that were covered during those episodes and the and I highlighted four of them. Now for the second quarter of the show, which ran from April 16th through June 18th, we had another 10 topics, and those topics included attention deficit ADHD, fair and open testing, educating at-risk youth, music and the brain, corporate world's impact on public education. English language learners, ELLs, a conversation with scholar athletes, science research and robotics, understanding the common core state standards and bullying. So during the next three months of the show or the next quarter of the show, those were our, our 10 topics. Now, I'm actually going to uh, focus in on about half of these topics because it was very 
uh, very actually the entire program was very fruitful uh, all 38 episodes but there are certain things that are just buzzwords in education and there are certain uh, uh research techniques and educational techniques that are just phenomenal um and really motivating uh long-term educators and, and, and young educators to doing some really uh, unique things. Let's start with uh, a highlight on attention deficit disorder. Um, I this episode included Dr. Bilal Polson. He's an assistant principal for the Northern Parkway School on Long Island, and he's also a member of the Board of Governors for the Early Childhood Assembly of the National Council of, Council of Teachers of English, Teachers of English. And we also had on Veronica L. Schauder, who is a licensed and certified clinical social worker. She's actually been on the show twice. She's also a school social worker and former forensic social worker. Now, for the attention deficit portion of uh, for episode, the things that the audience should take away from that is the fact that attention deficit can also be described as attention differences. And attention deficit hyperactivity disorder and attention differences are related to the executive functioning of the brain. And when this functioning is impaired, there's an inability to control the following. Working memory, verbal skills, problem-solving skills, and imagery. Now, you might ask the question, at what point is this something that need, that, that rises to the level of uh, ADHD? And what my guest shared is the fact that if it's impacting on the quality of life of the individual, then that person should be referred to a neuropsychologist to be evaluated to determine whether or not the individual has ADHD. Of course, there are medications uh, that can assist with ADHD. But what one of my uh, guests shared, Dr. Bilal Polson, is the fact that Physical activity, once again, that word physical comes up when we talk about education, but physical activity has a beneficial impact on those who are diagnosed with ADHD. It, it's, it, physical activity is one of the strongest methods to help them to learn to cope uh, with their their symptoms. And in fact, Dr. Bilal Polson didn't realize until after his one of his sons was diagnosed with ADHD that's when he realized that he also had ADHD and that it is it is something that can be hereditary. And he said what happened with him and him becoming a doctor, obviously, in a school and an educator and a very successful one, I should add. Um, yet it wasn't until he had already accomplished many things in life that he realized he had ADHD. And he said the thing that helped him cope with it was the fact that he was a dancer. His, his parents got him involved in dancing, dancing. He became a dancer and it was being involved in that coordinated physical movement that helped him without even knowing he was ADHD. It helped him to cope with the symptoms. And he has gotten, he has gotten his son involved with martial arts and that along with soccer and other, other physical activities, but mainly martial arts. And he says that is his, his son is being able to identify, uh, when he's having uh, issues uh, with his executive functioning and his son is is better able to cope thanks to the physical movement. So that was a very important episode. A lot, a lot of people have questions about 
uh, attention deficit ADHD. And my guest did an excellent job explaining that. Once again, I share this with everyone because the links are available. You can uh, link to the episodes. You can save the MP3s from the episodes and you can use this information in your own uh, research or in your own sharing out. Now, the next episode that I'd like to focus on, it was a May 7th episode, May 7th, 2014, Music and the Brain. I highlight this because, honestly, this is one that I've listened to a couple of times since. It was probably my favorite episode, and the reason it's my favorite episode, it is the only episode where not only did we play musical clips, we actually had a guest on who was a professional jazz singer, and she she sung a, a couple of uh, um, verses for us from the Music in the Brain curriculum, and it was fantastic. In fact, at the time she was uh, on the show, she was actually, um, I believe, visiting someone in Chicago who was performing in a in a production in Chicago, uh, and or she was also performing at the time in Chicago. I forget exactly what it was, but she came on the show live and she put on an amazing. Uh, vocal performance and and the clips that we played that's from the music in the brain curriculum were also very inspiring in fact it made me comment and and feel like i wanted to go back to school again as a kindergartner and 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 get this experience so that's my single favorite episode or you know and i and it's it's not as technical as some of the other episodes or or is uh um uh crucial you know such as adhd but it's a lot it was a lot of fun and the information was hugely uh, beneficial so that's one episode i encourage a lot of people to to download and save the mp3 and listen to repeatedly and share great episode but let me give you some uh background information about music in the brain uh inspired by scientific and neurological research linking music and cognitive development Music and the brain is the experience of what research is now telling us. Music has a significant effect on the way our brains develop and function. When children receive sequential music instruction, it can impact their proficiency in language, reading, math, and cognition. More than 200 public schools have used music and the brain as part of their core curriculum since 1997. During this episode, we had on program director and creator of Music and the Brain, Leisha Lercari, and program manager for Music and the Brain, Lisa Beattie. And our uh, we also had a teacher on, uh, Sharon Golub, who uh, they term as a rock star teacher, one of the teachers who was having the most success uh, with her students and using Music and the Brain. And uh, Sharon Golub is a music teacher at PS11 in Manhattan's Chelsea area. And that particular episode, like I said, I listened to it multiple times just because I like to hear the, <laughs> the music and I like to hear the voice. And they explained how um, they can even open up conversations about, let's say, black history or civil rights movement uh, through music and through and through song. And it was a very, very inspiring uh, segment. The next segment in quadrant number two that I like to share is another fun segment for me. And that was a conversation with scholar athletes. And I happen to work with these uh, work in the same school district as these scholar athletes. And uh, it just, it was my attempt to show once again, tapping into the physical, but in this, in this regard, organized sports and how organized sports has had such a beneficial impact on students performance 
to the point where most of your high academic achieving students, most of your top 10, 20 percent in most schools are also involved in one or more sports activities. Just to give you an example, we had Karina Escobar on. She was salutatorian of her high school, a soccer and softball student athlete, and she is presently attending NYU. I touched base with uh, Karina recently uh, to see how she was doing after her first semester in college and also to see how her uh, her younger sister was in her first semester in high school, how they were doing. And Karina said she had some some challenges with uh, taking on a language in her uh, first first semester in college. And she is bilingual. She speaks Spanish and English. So I'm assuming she took on another language. And she said that was a challenge for her. But right now she's actually doing very well. Um, at NYU. Um, the other general, the other students that were on a show, and not just gentlemen, but the ladies as well, um, a gentleman by the name of Albert Rivas. He was eighth in his graduating class of approximately 500. He was his school's scholar athlete of the year, a lacrosse player, and he was accepted into Rochester Institute of Technology, where he is currently studying, uh, chemical engineering. We have Veronica Harris. She's third in her graduating class, a volleyball player and cheerleader. And she is attending St. John's University, uh, studying communication arts and minoring in legal studies. And last but not least, this is a young man I see more often than not because I live near Hofstra University and I go past it every day on my way to my office. And I actually saw Jonathan um, at the campus because I go through the campus on my way to work and I saw him heading off to class. But Jonathan Guevara was 11th in his graduating class uh, and he was uh, a baseball student athlete and accepted into Hofstra University where he is studying pre-med. These youngsters were excellent to have on. It was excellent to have to, to listen to them in their words explain the uh, the benefits of physical activity um, and being involved in sports on their lives. Karina uh, had to overcome uh, uh, the social stigma. Her, her parents are from Central America, and girls don't aren't necessarily on the forefront playing sports. And she had to overcome her her, her father's. Um, uh, dismay at her wanting to play sports to the point where he became her biggest fan. Uh, Albert Rivas mentioned that his fifth grade teacher, who was also his varsity assistant lacrosse coach, was uh, a, a excellent role model for him as far as how how he should carry himself as a man. Veronica Harris mentioned that her volleyball coach was like a second father to her. Uh, Jonathan Guevara mentioned the fact that his baseball coach always wanted always wanted him to go take care of his academics first before hitting the field. So all of these fantastic youngsters who were attending renowned universities all gave praise back to either their families and or their teachers who were instrumental in their success. The other two episodes that I want people to focus in on uh, for quarter number two of, of Educate are my June 11th episode on understanding the Common Core State Standards, I brought in two experts, Beverly Walcott, a director of English Language Arts for Long Island School District, and Dr. Clifford Swayze, director of mathematics for Long Island School District, the same Long Island School District. And they both brought their expertise to the, to the uh, understanding of the Common Core State Standards. Uh, Dr. Clifford Swayze explaining more how it's more sequential and how it, go, it goes much deeper as far as the math goes than previous standards and Beverly Walker explaining how uh, the English component is now cross curriculums and how it's about understanding and reading technical um, 
subjects and, and to being able to write technically and how the, both of these standards uh, within Common Core are going to help our students uh, achieve higher heights. So if you just want to understand the Common Core better, that's an episode you want to listen to. And another episode, which is a big buzzword uh, all over the world now, which is bullying, was my June 18th episode. I had Bill Belzey on. He's the president of bullying and founder of bullying. And he is also the man who coined the phrase uh, cyberbullying. So definitely link on to the bullying episode, which is June 18th, 2014, and click on to bullying.org to get all of the latest information with regards to uh, bullying uh, resources for people of all ages. That was our quarter number two. At this time, we're going to take another short break, but stay tuned. We'll be back with more right after this. And now, more Educate on TalkZone.com. Here's Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and our continued review of what we have learned through the first 38 episodes of Educate over the past 14 months or so. I did take two months off during that span. That's why instead of being a nice uh, round year, it comes out to 14 months. I took March off because I was dealing with uh, a heart ailment. And I took August off just because I needed a break. And that's the only time I really get vacation before uh, getting back into the grind. So it's, it's, it's been a year. Uh, the first half of the year, we did uh, a weekly show. And the second half of the year, uh, this past half of the year, we did a by uh, every other week. So right now we're going into uh, quarter number three, which is the period from June 25th through October 15th. During that quarter... We discussed uh, nine different topics. They included Children International, School Safety, Nutrition in Schools, Autism Speaks, Kid Power, Experiential Education, Motivating Students, the Income Achievement Gap, and the Safe Passage Project. And I just want, I want to let everybody know that when you go to these episodes, the individuals I'm speaking to in these episodes are people who are executives within that organization, founders within that organization, and presently active members of those organizations. So uh, when I reached out, I reached straight for the top. I reached for the people who had the most experience, most knowledge, most sway within those organizations to uh, share their insights and to share what it is that they do. And I, I mention this because... I would like you, when you go to check out these episodes, I would like you also to check out the bios from the individuals that we had on those shows. Now, for uh, for quarter three, I'm going to spend time highlighting about four episodes. Uh, the first episode in quarter three was uh, Children International, uh, subtopic Educating Girls Living in Poverty, and our guests were Kathy Phelps, and not Natalie Foxworthy. Let me give you a brief uh, description of Children International before I share with you uh, my direct experience with them. For more than 75 years, Children International has been providing critical assistance to children and families struggling in terrible poverty. Our centrally located, I should say, their centrally located community centers from which dedicate 
dedicated in-country staff operate, provide resources, programs, and services that allow them to reduce the burden of poverty on, on impoverished children and youth. They invest in their potential and provide them with opportunities to grow up healthy, educated, and and prepared to succeed and contribute to society. One of the things that motivated me about scheduling that that episode when I did was the fact that at this time, uh, or especially last year, I don't know if it's still going on now, I'm sure it is in some way, uh, the United States experienced a huge influx from Central America uh, not from Mexico, but primarily from Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. A thousand, uh, primarily children coming from Central America. Now, my experience with Children International is that I have sponsored children through Children International, and I can attest to the fact that it is a, a legit, bona fide institution. I, several years ago, young lady from, uh, she was a child when I started sponsoring her. She's in her mid-20s now, and, and we're no longer in contact. But I sponsored her from age 12 to 19 and visited her when she was approximately 16, and these visits are highly structured, uh, down in Dominican Republic, Santiago, Dominican Republic. And so it was real. I was able to meet her. I, you know, we, we exchanged the letters. I was able to bring her a gift. I was able to meet uh, her brother, you know, and to meet the organization around her. So Children International is a legit organization and the money that uh, is donated uh, and the children that you are sponsoring are, are real people who you can make arrangements to meet. At this time, uh, they gave me, as soon as uh, my first sponsored child aged out, I was given another sponsored child uh, from Santiago, Dominican Republic area. And recently I took on an additional child, uh, a teenager in Guatemala, a boy, because uh, it's mainly boys and it's mainly children who, when they're in bad circumstances, take the very dangerous journey from Central America to the United States. And this is through um, what they call coyotes, people who, uh, you know, uh, try to shepherd people onto the United States. Sometimes they just steal their money um, uh, and leave them uh, uh in, in the middle of nowhere, these people are jumping on trains. They're they're de- they're trying to get through dr- drug cartels. It's, it's not a pretty experience uh, uh, that their trip to the United States. And in fact, and, and I'm going to in a later episode, I'm going to highlight uh, some of the things that are being done to to assist these students. But this Children International episode, I thought was timely. We discussed mostly the educating of girls living in poverty because that was that was highlighted at that time and what Children International was doing. But in general, I thought this was a great uh, topic and I thought the guests did an excellent job giving informing people about what Children International does. And you can go to children.org to learn more about Children International. Now, several weeks later, in the middle of the summer, we had executives on from the organization Autism Speaks. And that would be the uh, July 16th episode. In fact, this was the episode I did from uh, from my ho- my uh, hotel suite or timeshare suite, whatever you want to call it, out in Las Vegas. So although they didn't have the greatest Internet connection, uh, if when you go to that episode, uh, my producer, Dave Olson, did a great job of cleaning up any technical problems we had so that you can hear clearly what the executives had to share from Autism Speaks. And let me just read you uh, a little bit about Autism Speaks. 
Autism Speaks was founded in February 2005 by Bob and Suzanne Wright, grandparents of a child with autism. Their longtime friend, Bernie Marcus, donated $25 million to help financially launch the organization. Since then, Autism Speaks has grown into the world's the world's leading autism science and advocacy organization dedicated to funding research into the into the causes, prevention, treatments and care for autism, increasing awareness of autism spectrum disorders and advocating for the needs of individuals with autism and their families. Today, on that particular day, uh, I spoke with uh, the executive vice president for strategic communications, Michael Rosen, a former uh a television executive, by the way, and executive vice president of programs and services, Lisa Goring. They shared some facts and statistics about autism that are just flat out shocking. Uh, we're at the point now where almost one in six uh, children uh, who are born are someplace on the autism spectrum. That is an astronomical number. And it, and it has increased to that number very rapidly. And uh, in addition to speaking about that, both of these executives are parents of children who are on the autism spectrum. Uh, in fact, uh, Mr. Rosen's son, uh, who's now is a young adult, um, uh, is on a spectrum and he needs uh, year round. He needs full time uh, care. So he's in an adult uh, organization uh, that is geared toward providing him the supports he needs so that he can be effective. Uh, in the life that he's leading. And this is very expensive. So organizations like Autism Speaks are crucial in helping people find the resources. Uh, shortly after this show, I started including PSAs or public service announcements uh, about autism that I got directly from Autism Speaks. I included them, those uh, PSAs in my sh- uh, during the breaks in my show. Uh, but what I would uh, recommend people do uh even if you don't have time to listen into that particular episode, Autism Speaks, there are there are very important and valuable links uh, that are that you can find if you go to the Autism Speaks episode. Uh, one is the Autism Speaks toolkits. There are many many toolkits in there with a wealth of information. And at the very end of that uh, episode page, if you scroll all the way down, there's a video which is titled "What Is Autism Speaks." So. That was a powerful episode. I wish at that time we didn't have the technical difficulties, but that's that's broadcasting. Uh, during the third quadrant of the show, uh, another show that I like to highlight is that of experiential education. Once again, we had the executives on from experiential education, including a college professor who are actively engaged in the organization. And let me just read to you first a little bit about uh, what experiential education the association does. The Association for Experiential, Experiential Education, AEE, is a nonprofit professional membership association dedicated to experiential education and the students, educators, practitioners who utilize its philosophy. They strive to connect educators in practical ways so that they have access to the growing body of knowledge that fuels their growth and development. They publish and provide access to relevant research, publications, and resources and raise the quality and performance of experiential education programs through their accreditation program. Now, when you think experiential education, it's pretty much what it sounds like. Uh, experiential education uh, is outdoor, wilderness, 
and camping, hiking. It's adventure therapy. It's uh, a, going to challenge courses and doing team building. All of this and much more is a part of experience, experiential education. And being a huge fan of the great outdoors, having hiked, hiked thousands upon thousands of miles and hundreds of mountains myself, including volcanoes and the like, um, I can tell you there's something that's uh, very rejuvenating about being out in nature and about challenging yourself is something very peaceful about it. And it's something that gives you uh, creativity and, and, and intellectual fire. So I'm a, I'm a big proponent and a former member of experiential education. And I thought they did, they did a great job informing us about um, the many things that experience, experiential education association uh, actually uh, helps uh, groups to, to do. Uh, last in this particular third quarter of the show, uh, last but definitely not least during this third quarter, which was October 15, 2014, uh, we had guests on from the Safe Passage Project. Now, let me just read to you uh, a brief of what the Safe Passage Project does because it ties into what I briefly mentioned regarding uh, children uh, coming across the border. The Safe Passage Project was created to address the unmet legal needs of indigent immigrant youth living in New York by providing these indigent youth with basic advice and assistance. They work with volunteer attorneys to provide representation for unaccompanied minors in immigration court. It also provides training, resources, and mentoring to volunteer attorneys regarding special immigrant juvenile status as well as other possible immigration alternatives for children. Well, we, we spoke with Claire Thomas Esquire, a staff attorney with the Safe Project Project. And, uh, during that episode, we also did a, a an update on uh, school health with uh, nurse Sylvia Kalich. But what, what was most important on that episode is the fact that, uh, we learned a lot. I learned a lot about what's really going on about children crossing the border. It's not what you might think when you hear the media, which is slanted either left or right. And, and with the Safe Passage Project uh, episode, we, we learned pretty much what the facts were. So I would definitely recommend people check that out. At this time, we're going to take our final break. We'll be back to conclude right after this. You're listening to Educate on TalkZone.com. Back to Jonathan Jefferson. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the show and the last quarter of this show and also the last quarter uh, of our review of the past episodes of Educate. Uh, In the last quarter of Educate, which was this most recent quarter, October 22nd to today, to the present, uh, we discussed, uh, prior to today's show, we discussed nine different topics. Those topics included family and community involvement, instruction that works, challenges first-year principals face, the importance of movement, here we go with movement again, STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math, the exploratorium, the political classroom, African-American literature, and improving schools, which which is our very uh, last episode. Now, in this, I want to focus on about four of these five topics that we covered to wrap it up. Uh, The first topic 
I like to highlight is instruction that works. During this episode, this is another episode where I was actually out of state doing the recording. Out of state for me is out of New York. I was down in Tampa celebrating my birthday, and we did a pre-recording while I was in Tampa with uh, a very distinguished and renowned professor who's uh, probably, if not the, the world, the country's leading expert with regards to memory. And that's a gentleman by the name of Dr. Henry L. Rodiger. And I want to give you just a brief um, background of Dr. Rodiger, but I also would like listeners to listen into the segment with Dr. Rodiger. He is he has done a wealth of research with regards to memory, memory acquisition and including false memories. And it was very interesting, very engaging conversations that we had. And uh, there were some uh, anecdotes that we discussed and, and information that he shares uh, that may be applicable to improving your teaching, uh, your teaching of your students or of your own children. But let's let's let me give you a brief background of Dr. Henry L. Rodiger III. Uh, Henry L. Rodiger, nicknamed Roddy, is the James S. McDonald Distinguished University Pro- Professor at Washington University in St. Louis. He graduated with a B.A. in psychology from Washington and Lee University in 1969 and received his Ph.D. from Yale University in 1973. He has served on the faculty of Purdue University, the University of Toronto, and Rice University. He studies learning and memory, including ways to improve these processes and ways they go awry, such as the development of false memories. So click on this episode, and if you click on uh, Dr. Henry L. Rodiger's name, it will take you to uh, a site uh, at the University of, it'll take you to a site at Washington, no, not Washington Lee University, excuse me a second. (laughs) Washington University in St. Louis. There's so many Washingtons all over the place. Why? It's just because he was the first president. But anyway, uh, if you go to, if you click on his name, it'll take you to the Washington University in St. Louis site. Um, and he's in charge of the memory lab there and you will get some very interesting information. Now, the next show that I'm highlighting is a December 10th show, December 10th, 2014. The show is, was titled The Importance of a Movement. Let me just read to you the the uh, brief summary of this show. Many experts agree then, in order to keep a child's mind sharp in the classroom, you have to keep them active when they aren't in one. But with most kids spending their free time online instead of on the playground, and many schools emphasizing what's happening in the classroom rather than what is happening in the gymnasium, it is not students active. On this episode, uh, we my guests were... Lania Lighting, who's an assistant professor at Arizona Christian University in Phoenix and a former K-12 special education teacher and reading specialist. And also my second guest was Wendy L. Ostroff, who's an associate professor in the Hutchins School of Liberal Studies at Sonoma State University in California and the author of Understanding How Young Children Learn. Both of these expert guests shared once again proven research that students cannot learn. None of us can learn without movement, period. The brain does not develop without movement. If you sit down and just read a book and don't move, your brain is not developing. It's not growing. Once you include movement, you increase the blood flow to the brain. 
you increase the oxygen to the brain, you increase the neural passageway development in the brain, which in turn increases your ability to obtain information and retain information. All of that happens through movement. And these two guests on the Importance of Movement episode on December 10th, they shared with us concrete evidence that shows the impact of movement on students' behavior, on students' acquisition of language, uh, on students' able ability to perform well on on tests. If you are in a school district or a private school or any schooling setting where movement is not a part of the day, at least an hour a day, at least 30 minutes for the younger children of that movement should happen in school, preferably earlier in the day. Uh, for slightly older children, grades five and up, you want them to get as much as 40 or 50 minutes, actually 50 minutes of, of movement during the school day, at least three times a week. But every student and the parents need to balance this out. They need to know how much t- movement they're getting in school and make sure that they get the additional movement necessary after school so that students and children are getting at least an hour combined every day. And as far as the weekends go, then it's 100 percent. Uh, the caregiver, the parent or guardian's responsibility to make sure the children are moving, okay? And especially in cold weather like now, find an indoor space, go to a mall, run around, but make sure students and adults too, adults, we benefit from movement also. We have lower stress, lower anxiety. We have better sleep patterns. We are able to focus better. You know, we we all as, as uh, biological human creatures perform better when we move, when we move. Okay, so that is the December 10th episode of the importance of movement. My next episode, the very next episode after the December 10th episode was on STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. That was December 17th episode. So that was the very next week. Uh, Let me just read you a summary of the STEM episode. STEM is an acronym for science, technology, engineering, and math, and encompasses a vast array of subjects that fall into each of those terms. Occupations in STEM-related careers are some of the fastest growing and best paid of the 21st century, and they often have the greatest potential for job growth. As America strives to keep up with the current and projected demand for STEM output, it is important that our country remains competitive in those fields. The best way to ensure Future success and longevity is to make sure that American students are well-versed in these subjects. Uh, one of the reasons I, the, my guests for that episode, by the way, were uh, Gary Hocklander, who's president of ConnectEd, the California Center for College and Career, and Arthur Registry, who is a director of science uh, for Long Island School District. Uh, what, what attracted me to this, to this topic um, and to this particular show was an article I read by Gary Hocklander. And in that article, he shared a, an example of STEM where students uh, were putting together a pitch for a, a television or cable show and all of the different elements of science, technology, engineering, and math that went into this pitch. Some students had to be the writers. Some students had to be the, the, the technical people behind the lens, et cetera, et cetera. And it took all of these different uh, areas of p- professional inquiry to put this project together. 
and the students pitch their their uh, pilot to a uh, television or, or cable executive, and his response to them was, after seeing their their short pitch, was that somebody needed to edit the uh, the spelling because in the in the uh, uh, in their presence. And there was a misspelling uh, in the lettering that went up on the screen. So as, as much as they did all of that work, something that minute could sink their project. So um, that motivated me to get him on the show because, we, as we know, um, students need to be um, not only immersed in STEM, but they need to have experiences with it as they're learning, you know, real life experiences uh, in order to be uh, ready for the for the workplace. And and that in this particular episode. We discussed STEM in detail and going beyond really science, technology, engineering, and math. Okay. In my last quarter, last but not least, uh, the Exploratorium was one of my favorite episodes. I have, I've been to many places. I've been all over the USA. I've been in Central America. I've been all over the Caribbean, all over Canada. But for some reason, I have yet to make it to San Francisco and in San Francisco, there's a place called the Exploratorium, and when I get to San Francisco, I will definitely get to the Exploratorium. The Exploratorium is a playful place in San Francisco, and it outlines and explores how the world works. For 40-plus years, they have offered creative, thought-provoking exhibits, experiences, tools, and projects that ignite curiosity, encourage exploration, lead to profound learning. My guest for this episode was Mike Petrich, who is director of the Making Collaborative at the Exploratorium. That was episode January 7th of this year, January 7th, 2015. Uh, definitely something you want to check out. And if you're in San Francisco, definitely a place you want to visit. Well, this concludes my review of the very informative episodes of Educate. I don't know where I will appear in the future, but I will reemerge and I look forward to having you with me. Stay well, everyone.